Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello boys and girls and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And continuing our rather bleak mini-season of Russian-inspired episodes, tonight we are watching Doctor Who Cold War. The Firebird stands ready to serve. For the motherland. Very dangerous time, Clark. East and West standing on the brink of nuclear oblivion. Lots of rich fingers on the button. It's a nice warrior. I am Skeldak. This is a soldier. That is a monster. Is he that dangerous? This one is. He's got nothing left to lose. Laura, get out of there. Get out! I will blow this sub up before you can even reach that button. This was episode 9 of season 7 of The Revived Doctor Who, starring Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman. It was the first one to feature the Ice Warriors, and I've always had a bit of a soft spot for this one. Yes, me too. So, as ever, we're going to do a full commentary on this, but as ever, we need drinkies first. It's time to whip out the tonic screwdriver. And what have we got for tonight? Tonight, we have a rather special bottle of gin because this is a bottle from the River Test Distillery and it was made exclusively for the gin club that uh, I'm a member of. And they have made a chalk, a thing they called the Chalk Stream Gold varietal. Now, first off, it is in an absolutely beautiful bottle that starts off as a, a sort of ambery colour and then the colour fades as you move up the, the bottle to the stopper. So it looks beautiful. It would sit very nicely on a gin shelf if I had enough space in my house to shelve all the gin that I've got. And the info bollocks says, True River Spirit Inspired by Nature. Hampshire's chalk streams are internationally renowned for their gin clear waters and our distillery is situated on the banks of the most famous of these, the River Test. We have sourced protected ancient grain, which is grown in the Hampshire fields bordering the distillery. This treasured grain has been distilled with riverside botanicals and our pure chalk filtered water so as to create an exceptionally smooth gin. Chalk Stream Gold has been created exclusively for the Craft Gin Club. So that's mid-level info bollocks. It's a 40% gin. And what do we think of the nose? Oh, it, it's very faint. I'm going to say very, I'm very, very it. faint. I think it's just I think it's just a whiff of alcohol I'm getting mm. off off this. To be honest, there, there there is a very very faint faint nose coming off it. But so we'll, oh, well, we'll go on to the taste. Speedos Down on, gloves off, dive in. Oh, hello, hello indeed. It's another standard gin. There's nothing immediately hits you, but it's very nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not getting any weird wonderful botanicals off this mm. what i'm getting is an absolutely delicious beautifully blended gin this is one of the smoothest gins i think i've ever had this is beautiful there, there's no standout flavors everything is blended together absolutely seamlessly every now and again you get a gin there's nothing out of the ordinary about it but it's really well made really well presented and i've said before your first taste is with your eyes and this thing is just lovely I think it, it does heighten the experience when it's not just chucked into a bottle and a label slapped on it. 
It's a very well-made gin. It's just not very exciting. I think I'm going to have to give it a three. And I feel bad doing that because it's well-made, but it's just nothing special enough for anything higher, I'm afraid. What about you? I think this is lovely. I think this is smoothly balanced. I think this is a lovely drink. It's not exciting enough to make it a five from me, but it's definitely a four. Splendid, as long as it's being enjoyed. I think this is very definitely a gin for tonic. Um, Pink gin would ruin this. I think it would be a bit swamped by the vermouth for to make anything other than a fairly standard martini. But it as, as a gin and tonic, it is absolutely outstanding. Well, grab your glass. Let's descend into the under gallery at Podcasting House and open up one of the doors. Dr. Exxon, which door are you choosing this week? Um, I'm going to go into the Black Archive. What are you rescuing this time? Well, I'm going to rescue a a children's uh, TV adventure series from 1966 called Quick Before They Catch Us. It was the story of three teenagers who became amateur detectives in London in 1966. And there were five stories made, um, each of four episodes, and only one episode survives, which is the first episode of The Tungsten Ring, the fourth story in the run. Right. Is this something you were familiar with previously? No. No, I, I haven't seen the, the surviving episode. I've never really talked to anybody who has seen any of it. It's got some quite good reviews online. It has um, Pamela Franklin in, who I quite like as an actress. Most people know her from the prime of Miss Jean Brodie. I know her from The Legend of Hell House, which is one of my favourite horror films. She actually started off in the 1961 version of The Innocents. I hadn't realised that before I read that on Wikipedia. Splendid. Well, I'm going to take us next door into the gift shop. Sunshine, lollipops and green bows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. I'm going to request a commercial release for the Randolph tapes. This was a collection of audio recordings of Doctor Who episodes from the 1960s. These are found in 2018, uh, early 2019, and they were very, very high quality, comparatively, audio recordings off-air of Doctor Who soundtracks. They start with the Daleks Master Plan Episode 1, and they go all the way through to the moon base. They are apparently some of the best examples of recordings that we've got of some of these lost episodes. So for that reason alone, I'm not entirely sure why they've not been used yet. But it's possible they have, but they've not. it's not been advertised as such. Because we've, we've certainly had Power of the Daleks and some of the early Troutons been released as animations. But stuff like The Massacre, that was in fairly ropey nick the previous uh, release so uh, I'm looking forward to hearing these recordings when sooner rather than later please but Mark Ayres is working on them so an audio god yeah and the the massacre was the the first of the audio releases wasn't it so yes it was yeah things have come on a long way since then and love is here to 
Here we are, I'm back in the viewing room, and as I said, we are going to do a full commentary on this. We'll run all the way through. I'm not going to waste any more time, because who knows when Putin's going to press his button. It's Ron VT on Cold War. 1983. Now, this looks absolutely beautiful. It does, and for this one, they've actually gone back to um, uh, the uh, uh, Mike Tucker. They got him back to actually make a practical prop for the submarine. They stopped using practical models and things after about series four or five, I think, and it was it all went CGI. But they decided that a, a, an actual model, a submarine model, would look better on screen. To be honest, I think it does. Oh. Oh, Vienna. David Warner. Criminally underused in this episode. Yeah. Oh, it's Prince Philip. He plays Prince Philip in The Crown. Can't remember. Uh, Tobias Menzies. Isn't that Mengies? Well, I'm never entirely sure, because it's Mengis Campbell, the politician, but it was always John Menzies, the shop. Yeah, but that's because most English people had no idea how to pronounce it. Oh, and it's a throwback to the Ice Warriors with the block of ice. Life's too short to wait. Oh, God, and it's Prince Charles as well. Well, and he's playing an idiot in this. You're a harsh man, Dr. Exton. <laughs> no, I've, I've actually met the bloke, and he, he is an idiot. Not the actor who's playing this, Prince Charles. For all it's very dramatic, this title sequence is a bit too American. I like the fact that they've got the Doctor's face back in it, but I'm not convinced that it's the most dynamic title sequence we've had. Like I say, American. Um, rather than just yelling alarm, is there not maybe a button he could push? Because if it's anything like my hospital, there's an alarm button every three centimetres and every patient, visitor, whatever, manages to knock themselves against them every three seconds, so... <laughs> oh, do you get that alarm? Oh, God, yeah. And the ones in the bathrooms, Code Browns, happen all the time. Oh, Code Brown. <laughs> my sister uses that, or she used to, for... Uh, my nieces, when they were a code brown, oh dear, when they were babies. Oh no, the the baby one is Poonami. <laughs> now, um, the TARDIS has just landed on board the submarine as it's sinking. Wet. Yeah, it's very wet. That that must have been a miserable shoot. They're all piss wet through. 
But how big is this submarine that a police box can land inside it? And somebody as tall as Matt Smith can stand upright. I, I have been inside submarines, and there's, there's a an actual uh, World War Two submarine in... Um, is it Mel? Somewhere like that? It's somewhere on the Wirral, anyway. And I have to practically bend double to, to stand up in the corridors. Or not stand up in the corridors, as the case may be. Yeah, there's a touch of artistic license going on here with the sizing. Having said that, World War II submarine, this was 40 years later. I'm still not convinced it was this big. I love Matt Smith as the Doctor. Was this the hats? Yes. I never understood why people made such a big fuss about Jenna Coleman. I mean, she's okay, but she's no Bill or Martha. Uh, speaking from a, a straight male perspective, she's very easy on the eye. But I do quite like, and I've always quite liked, she's got quite a rapier wit. And it's straight back at you, and it's fast delivered, and it matches Matt Smith's cadences. Because uh, you need that. You couldn't have one being slower than the other, whereas you'd got Bill and the Twelfth Doctor. That was a lovely contrast, because you had him, who was a bit miserable and grumpy, and you had her that was bouncy and lively, and everything was new and exciting. and So it was a nice... Whereas the Twelfth Doctor and Bill was a contrast, these two... Oh, Ice Warrior. It's a lovely evolution of the design. Which I think they've generally done fairly nicely. Um, I know a lot of people slag off the new Silurian design. I think it looks great. In-universe, it is explained that there are different chapters and, and branches of the Silurians, which yeah, explains which is- away the different looks. But I've got to admit, I would have preferred them to have taken the Pertwee-era Silurians and run with that and evolved those into a, a proper monster. Because I think you could well, do something that, really horrible with those. I mean, that does look to be what they're doing with the with the with the sea devils. Mm. Yeah, the time of recording we've not seen. I can't remember what it's called. The Legend of the Sea Devils. How long, Professor? Uh, by my reckoning, five thousand years. Five thousand years. That's a hell of a nap. Can't blame you if you got out on the wrong side of bed. <laughs> he is marvellous. He is. He's marvellous. I was so sceptical about Matt Smith, this young prissy boy. I was so wrong. The only thing I wish is that they'd kept the original Sound Warrior gun effect. I really like that. So it's a really distinctive sound effect, and they haven't bothered. And Miralon. Oh, loving the Miralon. See, I, I think that Ice Warrior costume looks fantastic. Yeah. Considering how bulky and inflexible the original costumes were. Which still look great. They still look great, but it's quite a difficult one to evolve and keep faithful to the original, and they've done it. I really love the Ice Warriors. They were one of those races that they did explore. It wasn't just the same story every week with the Ice Warriors. Yeah, and you get Curse of Peladon where they're actually not the villain. Mm. They backtrack a bit with Monster Peladon. 
in a number of ways, and it's not great. Like with the cattle prod thing? Like that cattle prod thing. Bit of a design flaw, to be honest. I've always wondered why they never sorted it. Oh, look, you've got me telling you about them, and I said there wasn't time. I do quite like the way that they've not tried to get everyone to talk in a cod Russian accent for this. They've just... They're all Russians on the boat, but they're just using the natural accent. I think you can look past it and invest in the characters a little bit better rather than doing cod Russian. But they never did the cod um, whatever accent. Um, I mean, back in the 60s, Aztecs. That's true, yes. That's all a bit Maskerman Dragora, isn't it? What is? The whole, why am I talking Russian? Um, there is that, and every now and again they do drop that into the dialogue just to remind listeners, or uh, listeners, remind viewers of why they can understand anyone wherever they go. I like the fact that there's a consistency and a little reminder for the, the casual viewer every now and again. Why doesn't Matt Smith have any eyebrows? They're just very fair, aren't they? But they're all, I've noticed they've all dried out after being soaked. Oh, Jenna Coleman's hair is still a little bit damp. She doesn't look very dry, and Mm -hmm. she has eyebrows. His hair doesn't look very wet. He doesn't have eyebrows. There are eyebrows there. You can see them in the light. There they are. (laughs) Oh, you've criminally wasted David Warner in this episode. He does nothing. I mean, I like the character that he's playing. He's just not given enough to do. Why is his beard completely dry? I've never grown a beard. Don't they sort of dry themselves more or less instantly? I don't know. Mine used to grow out ginger. I never grew, never grew it out, out for more than two days at a time. Apart from one time when I was going around to see Lulu Hayes, that I deliberately grew out a ginger goatee. And she opened the door, screamed, slammed it shut, and shouted through the litter box, I'm only allowing you in it if you agree that the first thing you do is shave. <laughs> I remember you once saw me with a... I can't remember why I'd got a beard, because it certainly wasn't a fashion statement, but you, you were not impressed with the fact that I had stubble. But mine grows with ginger flecks in as well. I've never quite worked that out. I know, mine grows out grey these days. Oh, yeah, I mean, yes. On the rare occasions that it goes more than two or three days, uh, yes, mine's now got flecks of grey in it. I mean, the sets in this look it. fantastic. Mm. Um, you're right, they're massively bigger than they should be, but, you know, it's eh, not the biggest error we've seen in Doctor Who. Grand Marshal Skaldak. Hello. Why have you sent Clara in to talk to Skaldak? Sovereign of the Tharsisian caste. By the moons, I honour thee. Disposable? She is not disposable. She's... Oh, no. oh dear. And the, the lights have gone the out. The lights have gone out in a submarine. Please, let us help you. You are not our enemy. And yet, I am in chains. Fair point. Doctor, what do I say? Yes, Doctor. What should she say? I think he wants to speak to the organ grinder, not to the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I was fleet commander of the Nyx Tharsis. It is very disappointing that the Ice Warriors haven't come back after this. Well, they have. Have they? Empress of Mars. Oh, oh. Not the best example, I admit. But I think there's a lot more they could do with the Ice Warriors. 
Yeah, because they were really alien race number three, weren't they? After the Daleks and the Cybermen. They were really, yeah. I mean, the Sontarans came along in the early 70s. Um, Silurians, I suppose. But yeah, they were, they were really the third. I'm, I'm not sure, though. Would you have classed the Yeti as three? Because Yeti came along before these. Well, before and after. Um, but these had four stories. Mm, true. Uh, Yeti had two. How many did, they have, did the Sontarans have? Oh, Christ, though. Uh, one, two, three... Four, isn't it? Do you know, you got me thinking now in the classic wrong. Um, five, if you include the uh, horror fang rock, because that's Sontaran versus mm, Root. And Rootons. Now, this, I think, was actually a bit of a misstep. I can understand why they wanted to explore it, the Ice Warrior out of its armour. But I think you've lessened them as a result. You've lessened the mystery. No, I, I think it makes them so much more interesting. So the trouble is, it's it's more deadly out of its shell. And we've seen that they've tried to do that with Daleks as well. It is and it isn't, because it's more deadly within that specific environment. But they've already said it doesn't dare use its sonic weapons from its... Um, armor within the torpedo room because it would blow them up and kill them all so in this specific environment it's more deadly outside of its armor but in a normal environment it wouldn't be you see that ocean shelf thing is really nice cgi it's not cgi that's real that's practical prop that's what I mean. This is where I think that the including model... The, uh, including the, uh, the ocean shelf and everything. Yeah. This oh, is why I've got really a real nice soft design. spot for modern model work. It can be really, really effective. See, that looks fantastic. Yeah. I say modern. This is ten years old, this episode. Don't. That just means we're getting old. I know. The day of the Doctor was yesterday, and... We're hurtling towards the 60th anniversary. Yeah, and Five Doctors was about three weeks ago. God, I remember. My mum recorded that for me on uh, the V2000. Do you remember that as a four-man? No, I, uh, we had a, a, a VHS at that point, and I had that recorded on first transmission. And, yeah, again, it was my mum who recorded it. And she couldn't see the point of recording the Will and Hartnell thing because it was just old. Oh, do you mean the five face of Doctor Who? Or the. No, that very first bit with the William Hartnell. Mm. Couldn't see the point in recording it because it was in black and white. We are totally reliant on battery power and our air is running out. See, one of the crew has just been crept up from behind by the Ice Warrior out of his suit, and these three taloned claws of gone round his face and his neck it's all very War of the Worlds Independence Day-esque that I've got to admit does work, it's quite creepy Yeah, and the very good hands, prosthetic hands and a very very good performance mm. end of the world, game over, I mean Hmm. This all sounds weirdly prophetic. 
and a bit Pyramids of Mars. There you are, Sarah. Earth in 1980, if you want to get off. For the benefit of those who aren't familiar with Pyramids of Mars, as a, an escape route, well, yes, you should watch it, you're quite right, but Sarah Jane Smith decides that this is all in the past. It, it, it must have... You know, clearly the Earth isn't destroyed, etc., etc. Why don't you just take me home? And, and he's like, right... I'll show you. Come on, let's let's go home. Let's get in the TARDIS. Let's go. And the Doctor shows her 1980 if they don't do anything, and history has been completely rewritten. And 1980 is just a wasteland. A Martian. I don't know what to think. They're not good. No, they're a bit crewman A and crewman B, aren't they? So why have you got a cattle prod on a submarine? I've always thought David Warner would have been very good in Robots of Death. As which character? No, just as a, an extra character, not as any, anything in particular. I mean, if it, if it was a specific character, it would have been Poole. But... Robots of Death didn't need any extra characters. It, it's perfect the way it is. No, but what I mean is, I could have, all, I could have, I've always seen him as he would have slotted into that crew. He was that source of ilk. What you mean, an extremely good actor slotting in with a, a load of other extremely good actors? That was a really strong cast, Robots of Death. Yeah. God, I loved that one. If we get out of here, we'll be bloody heroes. If we get out of here, it's a bit dambusters. When I get home, we're going to get married. When I get home, me and my daughter Maisie are going to run a country pub. Dead before the next scene. Yes, I have only one flight left to go. Yeah. Don't count on getting back. Come on, old boy, don't be afraid. Dead. Why is his arm sticking up in the air? Not quite sure. It's an interesting death pose. That is a really nice set. Other than the fact that it's too big. Stay here. Okay. Stay here. Don't argue. I'm not. Right. Good. <laughs> yeah. This can't have been a, a comfortable shoot. Just wet all the time. What is it? I mean, I went in there. I mean, I guess that's why you have good professionals doing it, who will just say, "Well, okay, this is the art." See, all the way through, I think what would have been a spoiler coming up, I thought would have been a, a much punchier moment is if David Warner's character had bitten it. Because he's immediately, he doesn't need even need to say a word. You care about his character. So if he died, it would have been a real emotional high point. I'd really hoped he would come back in the second episode. There aren't a huge number of characters that I, I think, yeah, I'd really like to see them again. But his character, yeah, definitely. See, one that I think that it would have been lovely to have more of is Frank Skinner. I think he would have yeah. slotted into that TARDIS team beautifully. Whereas I think his story worked perfectly the way that it did. Oh, agreed. I, I think that it was self-contained enough that he worked for that particular story. But as a companion, that's, that's what I would have liked to have seen. Um, All the male companions we've had, really, they've been a bit meh. One-dimensional. Yeah, in the new series. 
and well, Frank and, Skinner. And in the old series as well. Um, it, uh, Stephen was it, pretty good. Ben? Yeah, yeah, but people say female companions are there purely for eye candy. What is said, is it true? You're... Name one male companion who wasn't eye candy. Oh. Well, I need to know. I'm not allowed. No, please. I can't. Actually, I can't. Yeah, they were all there for... But were they, I mean, they were, I suppose they were all handsome men and what have you, for on different levels for different target audiences. Um, Stephen yeah. was there for the uh, girls. Um, I think Ian, uh, uh, William Russell, he was quite a, a screen heartthrob in his day. So he might have been there. But I think he was more the, the lead of the, the, to be fair, the intended lead of that first series. Yeah. Um, My distress call has not been answered. It will never be answered. My people are dead. He, they are dust. He's a bit there dramatic. Left for me except my well, you know who's doing the voice. And I'm ignoring that comment. Um, <laughs> Mercy. But when we're talking about male and female companions, there hasn't been a male equivalent of Romana. Or Lishore. Oh, uh, that Zoe. is true, yeah. Ian's about the only one. Yeah, Turlough had an, uh, an edge of it, but only towards the end of his time, when he was clearly... Uh, you see, early Turlough would have been so much more interesting with the Seventh Doctor. Oh, the two of them trying to outfox one another. Yeah, that would have been brilliant. Whereas with the Fifth Doctor, didn't really work. When he first goes on board the TARDIS, why? Why let him on board? Oh, now this looks nice. Look at oh, that. Oh, that is great. The Ice Warrior costume there. It's power. And functional. So there, there's the micro cables coming out of it. The, oh, this, just, this looks wonderful. I really like all this interplay that it's not just monster of the week it is there's a code to the ice warriors and history yeah it does look fantastic and it's a great story I've always enjoyed this one this is the, the second half of Series 7. Series 7 was broadcast in two halves, and they aimed for the second half to do um, sort of condensed I mean, look movies. Look that looks. That, that, yeah. In fairness, yeah, it does. So think like Hyde. Yeah, which doesn't really improve on re-watching Hyde. I liked it first time around. I was never that blown away by it on rewatching Crimson Horror. Well, see, I, I saw it a few on. months ago and really quite enjoyed it. But Nightmare in Silver, I've never rewatched because it was all Terrible. a bit clever. Terrible. It, it's turn, no, it's turning the Cybermen into the Borg. Yeah. I really like how she takes centre stage on this. Almost looked a bit Chelonian there. Yeah, but not as shittily written. <laughs> and he found out the other day who'd created the Chelonians in the novels that won't have gone down well with Dr. Exton. 
well, except that I read all the novels on, on the way through, so I know who it is you're talking about. Because Russell T. Davis actually wanted to bring them back on screen. Don't think that'll and, be happening now. You know what? They're a well-written, well-thought-out alien. I've never thought he was a bad writer. Uh, no, but I believe he's criticised Russell T. Davis heavily in recent years for reasons I don't understand. Sonic screwdriver glowing with a red end there. Well, it's better than the dildometer. Ah, good old time warrior. Nope, not meddler. Nope, monster. Monster. It's only your third choice out of three. <laughs> Is that it? Meddler, warrior and monsters. and nothing else with time in it. I don't think so. And the Rani. Doesn't count. Oh, time flight. But that's not a the time whatever that's a lovely bit of model work oh god bless you sir that looks fantastic oh that looks really good and that's a bit, nice cgi ship bit 2001 that's not a bad thing He's on about reactivating the hads. We've not seen that since Patrick Trout. It's Troughton's always day. coming back to Trouton. There's a great link, I think, between uh, Matt Smith and, and Patrick Trouton. Actually, if you look at it, there's a, a fantastic link between pretty much every doctor that comes after Trouton and Trouton. There's certainly connections with the fifth. Pertwee, not so much, and. They, uh, Tom Baker just basically did whatever the fuck he wanted. <laughs> Davison, McCoy, Tennant, and Baker have always said they borrowed a, a massive amount from the second Doctor. I actually think there's a fair bit of stuff from the others. Oh, lovely little credit there in the end. Uh, titles to Brian Hales, original writer of the Ice Warriors. What did you think of that? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It would have been better to be a two-parter, so turning it into the equivalent of a four-parter. There was too much going on and too many characters for one single New Who episode. But what we saw was absolutely brilliant. I'm with you in that the submarine sets aren't really claustrophobic enough. But if they were, they wouldn't be able to do the running around all over the place. No, uh, it's one of those things in Doctor Who, sometimes you've just got to turn a blind eye because Ooh. it's there for dramatic effect rather than accuracy or what have you. It's a minor niggle and it's just not worth focusing on because you're watching this for a spectacle. You don't want realism. It's Doctor Who, for God's sake. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a nicely done story. Yeah, there were lots of things that you could have explored and looked at differently. And this was a really short episode, wasn't it? It was. It's only 41 40. minutes long, this. Is yeah. it? I never realised how short it was. And I'm not entirely sure why, because normally there were 50 minutes at that point, and you could easily have filled in another 10 minutes with not padding exploration of what was going on. Yeah, <sighs> One of the things that I think that Doctor Who would benefit from across the board is breathing room, real slow scenes. 
don't get me wrong, I've no complaints about New Who, but you don't get any of the the real slow, gentle scenes that you'd sometimes get in classic Who, for example, where you'd have a a pan across a scene or a just a shot or of two a, characters having a conversation. It, it doesn't really happen anymore. Or a speech. Tom Baker's Homo Sapiens, Indomitable. Yeah. Or Patrick Troughton's There Are Some Corners of the Universe, which, no matter how many times I've seen it, sends a shiver down my spine. It's missing that, but not missing it. I mean, the, the, I'm just trying to think here. The nearest equivalent we've got is Peter Capaldi's You Should Have Just Sat Down and Talked speech from the Zygon inversion. This is a scale model of war. Every war ever fought right there in front of you. Because it's always the same. When you fire that first shot, no matter how right you feel, you have no idea who's going to die. You don't know whose children are going to scream and burn. How many hearts will be broken? How many lives shattered? How much blood will spill until everybody does what they were always going to have to do from the very beginning? Sit down and talk! I can't think of another one in New Who where he does that. I mean, unfortunately, there's the always be kind, never eat pears bullshit. Oh, no, but that's just regeneration. I, I hate all that where we've had two regenerations now where... It's a big pass on the back that goes on for way longer than it should. I, I don't like any of that. Um, and Capaldi was better than Tennant. I mean, Tennant went on for half an episode. Oh, it was awful. No, I, 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 less is more with regenerations. You want Doctor dying, collapse on the floor, quick, punchy, last line, death. You don't need half an hour of spiel. The last half hour of End of Time could be chopped out, and certainly four-fifths of Peter Capaldi's final speech could be chopped out. Less is more. Yeah, I agree completely, and I still think that the regeneration that works best, or the, the two regenerations that work best, Hartnell... I love the Hartnell regeneration so much, I just yeah. think it's got a, a real... Oh, I don't know. There's something about it. The the way the the console room's making that noise, and mm. you know they walk in and they're like, no, 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 just just leave him. What's going on? We don't know what's going on. Absolutely brilliantly. So, first Doctor, first regeneration of the classic series. Eccleston, first regeneration of the new series. Best one of the lot. Um, I'd probably agree with you there, actually, yeah. Everyone that's gone on from that on the new series has been, we have to be more dramatic than what went on before. Everyone from the new series is fuck it we'll do a new thing and it's never actually quite as good yeah i oh the capaldi one went on forever and the tenor one went on forever well, and the, the, Matt the Smith capaldi one. one was basically two episodes wasn't it but i can forgive them twice upon a time but i 
of the yes, of the new Who ones, I did quite like the what they did in the run up to Matt Smith's. It, that was the most understated of the ones that weren't Eccleston. Yeah, God only knows what they're going to do with Jodie Whittaker. I dread to think. Well, it's going to be a politically correct nightmare and overblown and. Ugh, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, the regeneration oh. will be Chibnall fuckwittery, and the post-regeneration will be RTD doing things properly, uh, as though he's not a teenage fan wank aficionado. The uh, do you know? I, I still haven't seen either of the Daleks. For, <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, for all the years I've taken the piss out of you about not watching episodes, immediately they're available. And after Flux, I'm just not interested. It's, I, it doesn't inspire me to watch it. I didn't watch it uh, live on transmission. It was a few hours later, I think. Because it. I can't remember what I was doing at the time. But it was a case of... Am I really that asked about rushing what I'm doing to watch something that I know I'm not going to be that enthused by and I'm going to watch on, I can watch on iPlayer whenever I like. And it was that, I've never felt that way about Doctor Who. Oh, I can't wait till this era's over. Legend of the Sea Devils, I should be wildly enthused about, but I know it's going to be a fuck up. My problem, oh, God, I feel so bad having a downer, because even during this period of Matt Smith that we just watched, it wasn't, to me, a golden period. Cold War is probably a highlight. I think coming before this, you had Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, which I really do like. That was a good which episode. Which I quite like. And I like Hyde. It's all right. Yes, it's all right. But it's it's not one that I've gone back to, and I can... I know what goes on. Uh, Cold War and Journey, those are my two highlights from this last, even Name of the Doctor. It was all right, but really it's all building to the last couple of scenes, really. No, Hyde is good. And I watched it again, oh, actually, a couple of years ago. It was part of my COVID rewatch. I was still sat in my chair. And I'd gone through the, through all the Hartnell and Troughton and early Pertwee that I could easily reach. And Alan was still working. I, I used to say, right, okay, pick me something, stick it in the DVD player, come back in an hour or so and pick me something else. So I, I saw a whole load of stuff that I wouldn't otherwise have watched. And one of them was Hyde. Yeah, it was really all right. Enjoyed. It was all right. I, I, I just wasn't overly blown away by it. But Possibly the thing about Hyde is I saw it almost immediately after I'd seen Kill the Moon. Oh, so anything would have been good after that. But getting back to what I was going to say about Matt Smith, this particular period, his last, the last half of his final season, I wasn't blown away by. I do like Day of the Doctor. I, well, Day of the Doctor is still my favourite ever episode of Doctor Who. And Time of the Doctor, I've got a massive soft spot for. I love that as well. But it doesn't yeah. matter with, uh, certainly, uh, Eccleston, Tennant, certainly Matt Smith and Capaldi, even the crap episodes, and they did have a few, they were lifted by the fact that you could watch them performing as the Doctor, and those bits were still brilliant. Because they'd take something mediocre and lift it to something, if not brilliant, it was certainly wildly entertaining, and it was worth watching for those fragments. Whereas the Chibnall era has been... There are none of those moments. It's all been grey, and there's been very, very few fragments of really good dialogue. 
There's only a couple that I can think of with Jodie Whittaker that she's been given so bland I can't remember it one with the Daleks in it where she traps them in a TARDIS and then destroys it that was quite clever and she had a great speech in that and then another one was right at the end of Flux where she was strapped into a chair and giving some speech and it was really good but it shouldn't take three series for a doctor to have a really good moment yeah four stories and you have the there are some corners of the universe Troughton got some really good lines. That is the best speech ever in Doctor Who. And if you're about to argue with that, you're wrong. There are some corners of the universe which have read the most terrible things, things which act against everything that we believe in. They must be fought. It's one of those little fragments. I think a lot of people would argue that the indomitable speech by Tom Baker... And they're wrong. Hmm... Homo sapiens. What an inventive, invincible species. It's only a few million years since they crawled up out of the mud and learned to walk. Puny, defenseless bipeds. They've survived flood, famine and plague. They've survived cosmic wars and holocausts. Now, here they are, out among the stars, waiting to begin a new life. Ready to outsit it. Let's leave Who fandom to argue that one out, because it obviously yep, needs an excuse. they're wrong. On that note, boys and girls, we have had a lot it's of It's been fantastic. I've absolutely loved it. We've spent a big chunk of time not talking because it's such a good episode. I agree. David Warner, criminally underused. I really, really wish they'd brought him back as the same character later on in, even with a different Doctor, although... Incidental characters transposing between Doctors doesn't generally work. But other than that, it was all great. Completely agreed. We've bypassed the randomizer for this episode, uh, largely so that we can record an episode before Putin hits the nuclear option. If we've survived long enough to record more episodes, we'll be back next time with another in our... (sighs) Invasion of Ukraine season, because that's what's going on. Ukraine is being invaded. It's a strategic tactical operation, don't you listen? Yeah, fuck all the way off. <laughs> when you get that, fuck off a bit more. And when you get there, fuck off even more. Yes. It's an invasion. Yeah, British workmen salute and whatever we can do to help the Ukraine. And in my case, that's been a, a chunk of money going to the uh, Ukrainian Red Cross. This series of podcasts is a triviality, and we know that. But it's our way of showing support. And we both have have other ways of showing support, and they don't need to be telegraphed. But before we get overly sentimental and preachy, as this will be very easy to do, because neither of us, neither of us are in any way want this to carry on, but it's given us a a reason rather than an excuse to look at Cold War and espionage stuff. We'll be back next time with something on a very similar theme. Boys and girls, try and sleep as soundly as you can. We'll be back next time. Ta-ta. Bye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. 
Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.